this is all, you know, distraction, frankly. And then to have said that we need to think about having a national conversation on mandatory vaccines in this country. I'm sorry. I mean, I'm, I'm actually feeling quite rebellious. I mean, I know I, I really am. And if there was a march or a protest against mandatory vaccines, do you know what? I'd blooming well go. Hello and welcome to the Fortune and Freedom podcast, where Nigel Farage and Nikolai Hubble give you a unique take on what's really going on in the world of finance, investing and politics. We hope you sit back and enjoy this episode. Hello and welcome to this week in review with Nigel Farage. Nigel, we'll start with the crisis that is engulfing the country, which is, of course, the UK's bat- or the England batting lineup over in Australia with the Ashes. What's your comment? Well, I have to say, uh, you know, we keep losing five love in Australia. I feel very confident it'll be five love again. Uh, yeah, it's been poor. And I must admit, being a cricket fan, you know, the start was midnight and I thought, well, no, I'm not really going to stay up. And then it was 11 o'clock. I thought, well, it's only another hour. And uh, I'll watch it till lunchtime. And I sort of barely went to bed um, and watched with incredulity as Root won the toss and went to bat on the greenest wicket I've ever seen in Australia. I mean, it's been raining like billio in Brisbane. And it, for all the world, I know that Anderson wasn't playing, but for all the world, that was a toss to win and to bowl. I just couldn't believe it. I bet you've never prayed for rain so much in your life. <laughs> well, I don't. Th- there's too much time left for us to be saved in this one. So, uh, yeah, you know, I mean, and Australia dominant, even without Steve Smith getting many runs. So, uh, yeah, it's going to be a very tough few weeks for England's cricketers down under. Very difficult to see, I would have thought, what turns this around. Let's move on to the big story in financial markets, which is the Evergrande default. Now, officially a default according to Fitch ratings. You've said before that China's the big issue in in the global economy now. So what do you make of this story? Well, I mean, look, China has had this meteoric growth over the last few years, this burgeoning of capitalism, which the communists have now checked uh, quite heavily. Uh, I mean, there are huge developments all over China being blown up and bulldozed. (laughs) And you do begin to wonder whether uh, perhaps, you know, we're seeing signs of serious overheating going on within China. Yeah, sure, they're going from being a poor country to being a rich country, uh, but nothing ever moves in straight lines. And so I do think, actually, that China, in many ways, is going to find the next few years a lot, a lot more difficult than it's found the last few. Our mutual friend Jim Rickards is fond of pointing out that very few countries, I think just South Korea, has escaped what's called the middle income trap, meaning that it's a country that was developing and has become a very, you know, very wealthy first world uh, economy. Do you think China's going to get stuck in that middle income trap? It's tough to say, isn't it? I mean, a population of 1.4 billion. And, you know, if, if you use that term um, about how many Chinese people are you actually using it? And, and that, I think, is the difficulty. Um, I, I, I kind of think um, I kind of think that we may see fewer big Chinese billionaires developing i think kind of that suited uh, the putin model to have a few big oligarchs you know running aluminium oil whatever it may be gas whatever it may be <clears throat> i don't think the chinese communists are going to allow more jack ma type figures to emerge um and i do think uh, that the vast majority of chinese people will stay in relative poverty uh, I, you know yeah it's it, it's going to be difficult 
to get the kind of advances in the next decade. Uh, and I'm, ta I'm taking politics out of it completely, but difficult to get social and economic advancement on an individual level, anything like the last 10 years. So yes, there will be a little bit of a trap. The other thing that's making waves in financial markets is the Omicron variant of COVID. Are you getting worried about this one or is this just a, no. another variant or? No, no, no. Are we to lock up? Are we to run away in fear every time a new variant comes? How, how, how many years are we supposed to do this for? The next five, the next 10, the next 50? I mean, the whole thing's ludicrous. Look, I'm not a bioscientist, but all the evidence is that whilst this thing may spread very quickly, uh, it isn't particularly virulent. So it could actually, it could actually be a blessing in disguise in that it could give a lot of people natural immunity. Now, unless I'm missing something, I thought natural immunity was better actually than vaccination or inoculation. So <clears throat> I don't think Omicron uh, is likely to pose anything like the problem we saw with the Delta variant. Uh, but it's come at a good time for Boris Johnson. Lucky old Boris, saved for the moment by Omicron. Uh, I'm not so sure about that one. Actually, let, let's let's dig I into that. I said for the scene. moment. I said for the moment. <laughs> what what's going to happen to him? I mean, uh, let's leave all of the of the obvious things aside in terms of the outrage and the ridiculousness of it, and uh, and you know, just how you know, infuriating it is. What's going to happen? I've, I've spent some time with Conservative MPs, uh, some former very senior cabinet type minister MPs. Uh, they're in despair. <clears throat> quite a lot of them are quite close to mutiny. Uh, Boris Johnson's only there for one reason. Start of 2019, he was one of the most unpopular people in the parliamentary Conservative Party. And even those that respected him for twice voting against Mrs May's terrible deal, then lost all respect for him when he supported it third time round. And yet, and in many ways, because of what I did, you know, the Spartans held out. We didn't leave the EU on bad terms. Let me come in with the Brexit party, smash them to smithereens in the European elections. And suddenly Boris is the hero and the saviour. And his sort of jolly optimism and his false promises about what would happen uh, in the Irish Sea, etc., uh, sailed them through to victory. He's there for one reason and one reason only, to help them win elections. When, he, when they don't think he can win elections, um, then he's toast. And I mean, the polling now suggesting the Labour Party four points ahead. And that's a Labour Party lacking any real firm smack of leadership. Uh, but I, my view is this. You know, if you drive down the motorway at 120 miles an hour every night, you might get away with it for three months, six months, a year. But you know what happens in the end? You get caught. You get caught. And if you lie about everything in your journalistic life, your personal life and your political life and get away with it year after year after year, at some point it catches up with you. So I think the absolute crux of all of this is that twice he's told the House of Commons there was no party, right? At the moment, it's proved that not only was there a party, which obviously there was, but that, he, but that he knew about it, then we're in a very different place. You know, November the 13th, there was a party in the flat organized by Carrie. 13 people attended that, completely against lockdown rules. The newspapers have the names, they haven't yet released them. Are you telling me that Boris didn't know that? Did Boris not know there was a party taking place in his own flat, organized by his wife? So I think 
the lies begin to unravel. Uh, and I, people say, Nigel, he gets away with everything. He'll get away with this. I'm not so sure. I think the beginning of the end has now happened. And in response to it, as a diversionary tactic, to announce plan B, to announce we must wrap ourselves in face masks wherever we go, um, got to have, you know, in England, vaccination passports to attend major events or go to nightclubs. Um, this is all, you know, distraction, frankly. And then to have said that we need to think about having a national conversation on mandatory vaccines in this country. I'm sorry. I mean, I'm, I'm actually feeling quite rebellious. I mean, I, no, I, no, I really am. And if there was a march or a protest against mandatory vaccines, do you know what? I'd blooming well go. I, I, it is completely unacceptable. It is wholly unconservative. Um, and I, I think yesterday, with the House of Commons appearance, with the press conference later on, I think he's digging himself deeper and deeper and deeper, and he's going to struggle to survive. I mean, I really think he is. Nigel, I'll see you at that march. Thanks very much for joining us. Hey.